friends, uh, if you have joined us since you saw me at the beginning of the service, my name is Kevin. Uh, again, I'm one of the pastors here. I help out with youth and small groups. And this Sunday has been on our schedule for quite a while as the conclusion of our series about being unhurried people. Some people talk about God having a sense of humor. I think even more than that, God is a good and gracious Father who knows our future deeply. These last months, uh, one of the hardest things that I've found has been that I am too busy to find time to slow down. Well, in the middle of many, many disadvantages and hard things about our current climate, one advantage is that my entire schedule has just evaporated. Being too busy isn't a big problem for a lot of us all of a sudden. So, this morning, in concluding our series together, I just have a few thoughts on where do we go from here. If you have your Bible, and I hope that you do, or have one nearby, could you grab it? And would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians 9.24? It's 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. And would you stand with me, wherever you're at, if you're able, in honor of God's word as we read it together. Don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way as to win the prize. Now, everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable prize but we, an imperishable one. So I don't run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. So Father, we pray that you would teach us what this means. In the middle of the chaos, it was your plan that we conclude our unhurried season with this very unhurried season. And you're doing something, and we want to be aware of what you're doing. So as we come before you to study your word and to think practically about where we go from here, Lord, may you speak, may you teach us, may you guide us. We thank you for your grace and your goodness in this time, even when it may not be as obvious as sometimes it feels. So we honor you, and we want to honor you more. We love you, and we want to love you more. Help us to do that during this time. Pray these things in Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen. You can have a seat. Maybe your couch cushions are even more comfortable than our chairs here, so... I can't see you, and I don't know if you're falling asleep, but I'm just going to trust that you're not. <laughs> uh, we... Uh, as you probably know, we have a very active church. And yes, I mean active and we do a lot of things, but I mean physically active. We have a lot of people who are great at training and exercise in our church. One of my first things that I did here when I started uh, with the young adults is they had a, a, a day activity where they went on a bike ride from the church to Minakata, followed by a hike. 
And I thought, oh, I gotta get involved. So I, I joined. Um, in full disclosure, I made it there. I did not make it back. Uh, but the hilarious thing to me is that some of you commute to work on your bike, and it's longer than that every day. Uh, some of the students, some of your students in our youth are following in your footsteps, footsteps uh, as uh, the guy who interacts with the youth a lot, there's a lot, or up until this week, there was a lot going on. Competitions and training left, right, and center. Uh, I think of Matthew Lasco, who has been putting in a ton of work at Taekwondo, and at Christmas, uh, Matthew, you got recognized as being the most outstanding on the sparring team. Good for you. I got to watch the process of athletic training play out recently with another one of our students, and I asked Liam Pickett if I could share this, and he said I could. Uh, a couple months ago, Liam decided to participate in one of the triathlon races held up at UBC. And like many of you, Liam runs like someone who wants to win the prize. And he did, by the way. But I'll tell you, I sit there and I watch somebody compete like that, and I say to myself, boy, I'd like to do that. And somehow I expect that I can simply go to the start line and do well. And obviously, like anyone who starts off their first run and decides, I'm gonna go 10K, it does not go well. And it's actually disappointing to realize that I don't have what it takes. There's a difference between the person who wins the prize and the person who doesn't. And I don't think it's that one inherently has what it takes and one doesn't. I think they both start at a point where they say, I do not have what it takes. But the one who runs toward the prize adds on a little word, yet. I don't have what it takes, yet. And I hope that that is where we are at. Uh, these last seven weeks, we have talked about abiding in relationship with God, about practicing silence and solitude, fasting, Sabbath, simplicity, slowing down, and creating rhythms of quiet study. Some of you have told us how much that this has challenged you. We've suggested that you take a meal off to think about who God is and how much you need Him. We've encouraged you to purposely stand in longer lineups, to not speed, to take a day off to rest in Jesus. And as you've done each of these things, and as I've done some of these things, I trust you realize you're not perfect. Perhaps you don't have what it takes yet. You realize that you get hangry when you haven't had a meal. You get impatient when you are late and you're in the slow lane. It feels kind of silly and impractical to take a day off, to trust in God when there's just so much to do. But as Derwin and Sophie and Bill have taught us about these things, isn't there a sense in you of, I'd like to live that way? I'd like to not be ruled by the tyranny of busyness, that I want to have what it takes. I don't want to be ruled by busyness and hurry. I don't want to be controlled by my 
my smartphone notifications. This is something that I want, and yet it feels like perhaps I don't have what it takes. So this morning, and conclusion of this time, we're going to explore what it looks like to develop what is often called a rule of life. Now, as we do that, there's the risk of this sounding like a seminar and not a sermon that points us to Christ. And I want us to avoid that at all costs. Seminars are excellent, but that's not why we gather on Sundays, to hear God's word preached. We are here because we have the ultimate goal of remembering the greatness of our God. So before we think about running a race, it's important to think about why. What is the prize that we're running after? It's been said that discipline without desire is drudgery. And so, perhaps, in an effort to avoid drudgery, let's put a finger on what our desire actually is. So let's look back at what Paul says to the Corinthians. Uh, for the sake of context, the city of Corinth, this is the people that Paul is writing to, they were a host city to a competition that was probably the second biggest sports competition to the Olympics. And it was right there in Corinth. So he's writing, he didn't accidentally use this metaphor. He's writing to people who know what it looks like to train for a race. They're people who, if they're not in the competitions, they've seen people train, they've seen them before, during, and after the race. So they know what it looks like. They know what it's looked like. it looks like to see someone who wants a prize and trains himself to run after it. So if running after the prize is what motivates us, and it probably should be what motivates us, the question is, what is the prize? Well, it's what we've been talking about this whole series. Our prize is being like Jesus so that we have enough space to be with Jesus, to build a relationship with him, to rely on him, and ultimately to love those around us the way that he was able to love those around him. Because he made choices in his life to allow that to happen. In Galatians 4.19, Paul says that his entire goal as a pastor is to see Christ formed in people. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul uses the language again of a race and a prize. And again, his goal is become like Christ. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, even sharing in his sufferings at all costs to be like him in finding new and true life in Christ. I hope that in our hearts that we would see this as a worthwhile prize to know Jesus. Bob Coughlin mentions that this is not about techniques and methods. It's about our heart. It's about who we love more than anything else. And if we don't allow our love for Christ to be about everything else as our driving force, it's going to be really hard to train for him as the prize. It's been said that the key to praising him is first in prizing him. And so it's got to be central if we are going to run toward him. Friends, this week has the world has seemingly crumbled around us. In each of our worlds, 
to one degree or another, has been feeling like it's been crumbling. Do you remember uh, in January, we talked about recognizing Jesus as the King? We talked about how dangerous it will be if we try to follow Jesus simply because we want to be associated with his brand. If we serve Jesus because we're hoping for perks, or if he's just one piece of the puzzle in the rest of our lives, just a component, we're in trouble. And probably, like rarely before, you are feeling this. I am. I did not think that I found my security in how much toilet paper I owned. Apparently, though, when that gets threatened, my whole foundations get shaken. There's something about walking into the store and seeing no toilet paper, knowing I have enough, that still terrifies us. Uh, when I went into the store and didn't see enough milk, I thought, oh, how am I going to have tea? All of a sudden, I realized that my foundations were perhaps in places I did not even realize that they were. So I know this is a difficult time for each of us for different reasons, but for just a moment, I don't want us to pretend like we're not a little bit worried. I want, just in this little window here, to understand that I'm worried and to feel the feeling of worry. Because, I'll tell you, we have a rare opportunity right now of thinking about what prize that we were actually running after. Right now, like very few times in our life, we feel the loss of the security that maybe we didn't even realize we had in our things, in our RRSPs, in our health, in our ability to socialize with one another. Friends, in this moment, the worry that we feel will help point us more towards who Jesus is, and that is actually a gift of his grace. Isn't it a bit interesting that God's been leading us through this specific series? That in his sovereignty, he knew that this series would end with this trial, with an opportunity to use it to become more like him. Now, it would be really out of place for me to speculate about the origin of a virus or to presume that I know the plans of an almighty God. All that I know that he wants us to run as those who want to win the prize. And the prize is to be with him and to be like him. And in his goodness, he will use this time of testing as an opportunity for us to follow him and become like him in ways that we otherwise wouldn't. We studied James, uh, that we studied in James that a follower of Jesus can somehow actually rejoice when we face all kinds of difficulties. Why? Because we know that it is the best thing for us to become like Jesus. That the ultimate prize, that the character that he built in us through testing, is the best possible thing that God could give us. And God will use even the worst difficulties as weights, as resistance training that forms strength and forms character. And that is a very comforting thought. So this is where we are right now. We feel that maybe we don't have what it takes to slow down and trust Jesus' pace. We realize our security is in this thing or that. We also know where we want to be going. There's a prize. We want the prize of becoming like Christ.
Christ. So how does Paul say that we do that? Well, he says that an athlete exercises self-control in all things. As someone training for a race has a plan, a set of actions in place to achieve their goal. Our friend Liam, Liam, in your training uh, and your competition, you didn't accidentally get better at swimming or biking or running. Uh, as Liam scheduled regular and exhausting training, 5.30 a.m., the alarm went off and he listened to it. He decided to train and to win the prize, to train in a way that he needed to and to get up and do it. As followers of Jesus, we will not accidentally become more like Jesus. I promise you. And if we do not begin to make a plan for how we will follow Jesus, we'll get halfway down the race and realize we didn't actually train like we wanted the prize. Uh, when I was in elementary school, we uh, didn't have a comprehensive track program. In fact, using the, track, using the words track and field program uh, is probably already too generous. Uh, normally what it looked like was a week before the track and field competition that we were part of, the track meet we were going to, our PE teacher would come and say, hey guys, track and field's next week, what do you want to do? And I would just, I'm not very athletic, so I would just kind of, whatever nobody else is doing, I'll do that. Uh, normally I did the high jump or something, and I can't jump very high, but uh, a couple times I ended up in the 400 meter dash. Uh, is a dash, is a run? I don't know. And you can at me in the comments. Uh, but it was uh, a 400 meter run, and obviously I hadn't trained for that. It's probably the first time I'd ever run 400 meters because I wasn't really prepared for it. And uh, so there is that experience of running a race, and you get halfway down the racetrack, and you realize, looking, well, not really around, ahead of you, and realizing, I think I'm the only one who didn't actually train to win the prize. I just showed up and hoped that I had what it takes inherently. We don't want to end up that way in how we're pursuing Jesus and a relationship with him. So enter a rule of life. Now, some of you reacted so strongly to the word rule that you scared your cat. Uh, it's okay. I know the word rule is uncomfortable for some of you. Some of you are excited right now because you love rules. You're kind of like me. Maybe organization is your thing. Uh, let's try and put your fears to rest as best that I can for those of you who hate rules. John Mark Comer reminds us that this is actually a completely different concept than Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life. These aren't rules for our lives, but a way of ordering our lives. Pete Scazzaro says that a rule of life is an intentional, conscious plan to keep God at the center of everything that we do. The starting point and foundation of any rule is a desire to be with God and to love Him. And right now, this idea of a rule of life is pretty trendy in the Pacific Northwest. And I want you to know the concept of the rule of life actually goes far back into church history. This is one of those things that we've always been doing as people of God. Uh, the rule of St. Benedict, for example, has been in practice for the better part of 1,500 years, since the 6th century. Now, I knew that our topic about the rule of life was coming up, and I was a bit nervous about this message because 
So, you know, as your pastors, we're called to practice the same things we're calling you to. So, over the past few months, I've been thinking a lot about my own rule of life. And by the way, you have a rule of life. You have a way that you operate your life, uh, whether you know it or not. So, in trying to develop my own rule of life, uh, and I've talked to some of you about it, uh, I've kind of come to a conclusion of the essence of what I, I found it to be. It's a reaction to the idea that I don't want my life to simply happen to me. I don't want my life to simply happen to me. The concept of a rule of life is to try and push back against our own tendency to react to life instead of intending it. And you know this feeling. You know you, you may work at an office or in a construction site or in the barns, in a lecture hall, and also that familiar email sound comes in or a red notification pops up on your device. Your phone starts vibrating with a phone call. A coworker, you know this, peeks around the corner and waits for you to notice them. And they have something for you to do. <laughs> and this happens so many times in your day that you actually never do the thing that you meant to do. The big critical project, the one that required time and focus and maybe sitting at your desk and thinking, that gets pushed again onto tomorrow's task list. Have you ever looked at your calendar and been surprised at how full it got? Every day for me. <laughs> but it's okay. There's lots of space in two weeks. Until two weeks from then. And then that week is also full. And how? How does that happen? Well, if we're not careful, we can go our whole lives just perpetually getting through this busy season. How many of you said that? I say that. You've heard me. I've told you that. Getting through this busy season. And then we just are in that busy season our entire lives. And then we miss out on ever training for the race God has put before us. Which is for the prize of utmost importance. Now, I'm not saying we simply tell God what we've decided to do and then expect nothing to change in our master plan. Uh, the book of James reminds us when we make plans, we say, God willing, we still rely on him for even every breath and every day before us. But not planning is also an issue. Jerry Bridges says that uh, not planning something is actually ungodly. He says that ungodliness in its broadest form basically is when we disregard God. We ignore him. We don't take him into account in our own life. We don't revere him enough. We become like those people in Romans, where it says, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God or give thanks to him. Now, this isn't legalism. We're not trying to get God to love us. But Titus actually tells us that it's God's grace that teaches us to say no, that teaches us to have discipline in our lives, teaches us to put ourselves under self-control, to live upright and godly lives. Uh, I think C.S. Lewis, he, he once wrote that he He's had people ask him this question. Uh, actually, I'll read the quote. It says, Christians have often disputed as to whether what leads to the Christian home is a good actions or faith in Christ. He said, I have no right really to speak on such a difficult question, but it does seem to me like asking which blade in a pair of scissors is most necessary. <laughs> Repair God's grace and goodness that has paved the way for us. 
and we pair it with discipline and putting ourselves under self-control so we can live a life that allows us to spend time with God. I hope in the middle of all the reactions we've had this week, I hope it's not a hard sell to encourage you to live a life that is not made out of reacting, um, but intending. But how do we do this? And what does a rule of life look like? This is where we're getting it really practical. It'll look different for every person, but it basically looks like establishing patterns and goals for each category of your spiritual life. And by the way, your spiritual life includes every part of your life. We would suggest thinking about how you follow Jesus in the way you abide with him, in your mind, in your body, in your relationships, in your rest, in your work and money, and in gospel and hospitality. Um, we have a worksheet that we're going to post after uh, we finish the, the talk today that will help you work through this, and I'll get to that in a moment. But this is going to take work, and so how you do this, I'd suggest that you take at least an afternoon, um, but if you can, take a full day off, or a quarantine day off, uh, to work through this. You may have more time to do this this week. Uh, and as I said, I'll put the worksheet on our online page right under this video. And so you start, you turn off all your distractions, you have a bit of time in some quiet space, you spend some time in prayer to remind yourself of the one who is your prize. Why are you doing this rule to get the prize, to trade to get the prize? The God who loves you and who desires your growth is with you. So ask him to help you as you make your plans. Because unless God helps build this thing, as Psalm 127 says, it's a waste of time. So then in this prayerful attitude, you go through each of these categories. And some are going to take longer than others, but in each category you'll make plans about how to follow Jesus. Um, particularly, uh, you'll look at how to follow Jesus every day, every week, every month, every quarter, and probably every year. What are some rhythms that you're going to build in? Uh, in the abiding category, how we spend time with God, uh, an example might be every day I spend 30 minutes with Him, in the morning or in the evening, and then maybe one day every week I take a Sabbath day to remember Him, a whole day every week. And then maybe once a month I will take a time to fast to remind myself of my need and hunger for Maybe every quarter, I need to actually get away for 24 hours just to be with God. And then probably once a year, maybe I do need to take a week where I'm not at my work and I'm not with my responsibilities to remind myself that when I take my hands off the steering wheel, God still has it. Uh, in the worksheet we'll post, it'll guide you through each of these categories and specifics. Uh, it'll give you some baselines for what's the kind of the good starting place. Because we don't want to send you on a 10k run the first time you've ever gone jogging. Uh, it'll walk you through like, what your relationships look like. How often should your best friends expect to see you? Um, what about your spouse and your kids? You'll walk out how to care for your body. Because caring for your body is actually part of how we worship too. And the underlying question that you'll be asked is, how do I plan my life so that it lines up with the way that Jesus lived his life. The guide will also, uh, yeah, provide you some baselines, places to start. Now, after going through this process, you've mapped it all out, you've done this 
by yourself with God, then talk to your spouse, to your family, and your friends, and the people who this plan includes. And if you're all on the same page, and if you said, I want to see you this day, this day, and they agree, um, then put it in your calendar. Friend, like two years ago, I planned a 20, like I was at a 24-hour retreat, I went away, at the end of that thing, I thought, my goodness. Uh, and by the way, retreat, it doesn't mean some fancy resort, it just means getting away from your regular. So it may mean just camping with a mat in the middle of the forest. It doesn't, it's not an expensive thing, it's just getting away. Anyways, so a 24-hour time away, I did that, and before I left, I knew I need to do this more. You know what, I should do this probably at least once a quarter, every four months maybe and then I didn't put it into my calendar and it took me another two years before I got to do it always just waiting for that that one day where it'll all of a sudden become convenient and I'll tell you it doesn't these things don't accidentally happen they won't so you put this into place you put it into your calendar and then you try it out try it for three weeks Maybe you were unrealistic and you said, I'm going to spend eight hours a day praying and I forgot to schedule like, cooking and eating. Uh, you make those adjustments in this first three weeks, get a plan that works. Uh, and then after that, we'd say, stick with it for six months, follow your rule. Because over a longer period, over that six months, uh, then it'll start to frustrate you a little bit. There will be work projects that show up on the day that you decided is always your day off. And you have to decide, do, what do I do? How do I follow Jesus? How do I follow the plan that I thought was best for my relationship with him? Does that take the back seat? Or uh, does Jesus take the back seat? And it's gonna be difficult. Um, part of the rule of life means inviting people into your house. You know, maybe, like not in the next two weeks, but uh, well, it, it may. Anyways, that's a different thing. <laughs> it, it involves opening up your life to the people around you. It means making decisions about how you use technology in your life. I think it's not a coincidence that right now, when all that we have is our smartphones, and there's a lot of danger about just spending our entire day on social media, or trying to find things that entertain us, it's not a coincidence that we're going through maybe making a plan of technology in our life right now. It's going to be difficult. It's going to talk and challenge you about how you spend your money. Um, but in all of this, being uncomfortable, we remember our goal, our prize, why we put ourselves under strict self-control like an athlete, to wake up to that 5.30 alarm to go swimming, it's to achieve the prize. The prize that we begin to look like Jesus is so incredibly worth it. Now for me, because I love rules, the temptation is for me to just do my thing. Be productive, I can go, I can make a rule of life, that's a task I can do, I'll make a blueprint for my life, I am good at planning, I know where I want to go, I can get there, I can do it. And I'll tell you, a common theme for my life is to try and figure out where God's asking me to go, and then say, great, I'll meet you there, and try and get my way on my own. I'll tell you, if we don't, if we operate like this, we'll quickly realize 
how much we truly don't have what it takes. Because we don't. If you try to follow Jesus without Jesus, I promise you it will be a colossal failure. Oh, like you might look good, but on the inside you will not be able to escape the reality that you're just building your own reputation. Because Jesus loves us so deeply, he gives us a warning. He talks at the end of all things, and a bunch of people who come to him saying, look Jesus, I did all these things to build up my own reputation and do the things he asked me to do. And Jesus said, but you didn't do it with me. I never knew you. You spent all this time figuring out how to win a prize that you didn't want. So if we try and do this on our own, I promise you, you'll be discouraged. You'll realize, I don't have what it takes. But the gift of grace from heaven is that we do not do this alone. Because of the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. He conquered shame, and he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Hebrews 12 tells us this, and it says that Jesus is the one who has run that race before us. He did it perfectly, and as we follow him, he shows us how to run. He provides us the opportunities, like this one, to train. And he not only helps us to win the prize, but he is the prize himself. What's more, because of Jesus' death and resurrection on our behalf, he has made us a family. And together, it's a great crowd of witnesses, like a cheering crowd in a stadium. We encourage one another in this race toward him. It's been our practice uh, over the season of Lent to, to participate in the Lord's table together with bread and juice. And those of you who have, uh, as we encouraged on our website before, seen we've given you a guide of how to, to do communion at home. And so if you're prepared to do that right now, we invite you to, to do that with the people who are around you. Um, and while we do that, I'm going to sing, lead us in a song of worship that I think is uh, pertinent for our time together. Uh, and then we'll move to our time of some question and response. There is no more 
Jesus, precious and powerful name. Amen.